Hey Rodney, did you know Slack's been a part of the Ready for as long as I have? You mean like back in the Bryant Park days? You know it. Even when there were only a couple of us working out of a cafe in Midtown, Slack is where we came together to tackle the future of work. Over eight years later, we're fully decentralized across eight time zones, and we still do it all with Slack. That's right, because it's the AI-powered platform for growing your business, keeping your teams connected, and making work legitimately simpler. Now you can get up to speed on a new project with one-click summaries or find exactly what you need, when you need it, with an AI-supercharged search function. It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future. Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Most centrally, I think it's the fact that reproductive health care is a form of health care, and a lot of people depend on their employer for their health care. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Aaron Dignan, and I'm joined by my notebooked co-host, Rodney Evans. <laughs> hey, everybody. We are also joined today by Emma Goldberg. Emma is a journalist who covers the future of work for the New York Times. Emma, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Good to meet both of you. Yeah. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the A word. We're going to talk about abortion and what the U.S. Supreme Court's recent overturning of Roe v. Wade means for the future of work, which is a big topic. So stick with us. But before we get into all that, let's check in. Yeah, we're going to do a check in round. It's going to be nice and light Good. because, yeah. you know, we, <laughs> we could probably use just a second of that. So like every episode, we'll start this one with a question that we all answer in turn. We will go, Aaron, then me, then Emma, answering this question, what is the best thing about summer? Well, the first incorrect answer is nothing. <laughs> but, <gasps> Rude. <laughs> I mean, you know me. I'm a fall I person. Do. I'm a spring person. Britt and I were talking the other day about how the four worst months are January, February, July, and August. But I will say this. I love a summer evening. Those summer nights are great. And I like to be outside and walking around. So I'll take a summer evening any day. All right. I mean, hard disagree. Yeah. Summer is the best. (laughs) It's my favorite. I moved intentionally to a place where it's like six months long uh, because I never, ever, ever want it to be cold and dark. Obviously, the best thing about summer for me as a cancer and just a water head in general is I can just like be submerged in water all the time. I'm like underwater for months out of the year on a time basis. And that truly could not make me happier. Like if I could take my meals with like submerged to the neck in water, (laughs) I would, that's where I would be all the time. So, so summer affords me the opportunity to be swimming a lot, a lot. Emma, what about you? Um, Well, I got to say, Aaron's answer is easy to follow for me. I'm a huge summerhead as well. And I think my answer, similar to Rodney's, has to be the New York City beaches. Mm. The fact that for me, I can get on the subway and 30 minutes later be in the ocean is just pure bliss. And I'm similar to Rodney. If I could take my laptop (laughs) and just live in the ocean for the entire summer, I would do that in a heartbeat. Yes, bud. If you ever find yourself in North Carolina, you are welcome to join me at our lake house where (laughs) we can just be in the water. We can just be in the water. I will never get out. I will accept that invitation. Nice. I love it. All right. So 
today's topic is the future of work and the future of reproductive rights and why those two things are connected, which they very much are. Emma, we'd like to start by asking you, as just a human moving through the world, what was your first reaction to the overturning of Roe v. Wade? And where were you? How did you feel when that news hit? Yeah, it's an it's an interesting question because I think when I think about the news, one of the first words that would come to my mind is shocking, which mm-hmm. is strange because we knew it was coming pretty mm-hmm. much, you know, after the leak in May. Totally. Um the the draft ruling showing that the court was likely to overturn Roe. We we did have that warning and yet I still did feel that visceral kind of shock seeing that it um was made official. I am. So I'm curious based on that. I think we all had similar reactions to different degrees based on our own stories. But as a journalist and someone that ultimately would would probably be reporting on this and thinking about this, where did your mind go after you digested the news? What what sorts of questions were coming up and what were your first moves in terms of how to how to move to cover this or to or to have a voice around it? Definitely. Well, I do very much remember when the news hit because I, I knew that there was going to be, you know, court decisions coming down that day. So I was refreshing the SCOTUS blog homepage <laughs> and a different decision came out first. So I thought for a second, like, oh, I guess maybe it's not today. And I mm. kind of shifted away from that. And then I think 30 seconds later, I saw the news somewhere else and I was like, oh, shoot. Okay, here goes. And as a business reporter, my first question was really, how is this going to figure into the workplace? Mm-hmm. And I think that's not necessarily where a lot of people's minds go. We think of abortion and all of these issues as a healthcare issue, as a social issue, as a cultural issue, as a, for some people, religious issue. But it's also very much a business and economic issue. So, you know, my first task was really to tackle how are companies going to be reacting, how are workplaces is going to be reshaped by this and how are workers going to be receiving this news and looking to see it tackled in their workplaces. Yeah. And as you started asking those questions, what did you hear? Like what was surprising? <laughs> what was shocking? What was maybe disappointing uh, as you started posing those kinds of questions out in the world? Well, what was interesting to see was that the the reaction from companies and from workplaces was, I think, perhaps a little bit more swift than we might have otherwise anticipated because mm-hmm. they had the weeks in between the draft and the ruling to prepare their response. So companies, like all of us, were you know not as shocked as they otherwise might have been. And they had those weeks to start preparing. And in other instances, companies that were based in Texas had been preparing ever since, you know, late last summer when SB8 came down, Mm -hmm. um, which was the Texas law that essentially banned abortion after six weeks. So companies based in Texas have had a long time to prepare their responses um, to this ruling. You definitely, I think, saw the speediest and the most vocal response from some of the companies that are known for being kind of women-led or women-focused. There's companies like Match Group, the dating app, which owns Tinder and OkCupid, and they've been really out front on this issue. Mm -hmm. And then some of the tech companies that are just generally known for taking louder stances on certain social issues like Salesforce, like Google, they've all been a little bit speedier to respond. So they were some of the first to be willing to engage with us. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Who that you connected with were you like, what the actual fuck? Or like, <laughs> what were the responses that you got that you were just like, well, this is very frustrating? Well, I think what was interesting was you did just see a really, really wide range of responses from companies. Um, You know, there were the groups like Salesforce that were saying, we will actually pay to relocate employees from Texas or from states where abortion is banned. I just realized I'm going to mute my Slack notifications. (laughs) You just freaked out thousands of people. (laughs) Who are like, wait, did right. I get a message? You're, yeah, your boss is trying to get in touch with you. No. Um, so there was a really wide range of responses. There were the companies like Salesforce that were taking really loud uh, stances in response and even saying they would be willing to relocate employees from Texas. And then, you know, there were a lot of no comments or lack of responses from companies. One of the most interesting to follow for me has been Walmart because Mm -hmm. Walmart is the largest private employer in the country. They have a lot of employees in some of the states that have banned abortion or Mm -hmm. are going to be putting in place the most restrictive abortion laws. And so they're going to play a major role in determining whether employees have access to reproductive health care going forward. Yeah. And yeah. like not just employees, right? Like a huge no. percentage of the population. <laughs> More, yeah, yeah, almost 1%. <laughs> it is it is kind of staggering. And I think it's it's fascinating because we are in this moment where it feels like there is a cultural divide about whether or not companies should have stances on social issues, period. And you've been writing articles kind of digging into the response or the lack of response. A recent one titled, Companies Are More Vocal Than Ever on Social Issues But Not on Abortion. Why do you think that abortion in particular feels like an untouchable topic for businesses to to come out and, and have a stance on? And then maybe more generally, why do you think there is this division in terms of mindset about whether or not companies should be all business or not? Definitely. It's, it's a great question. Um, and over the last few years, I think we've seen a growing expectation from consumers and from employees that businesses start to stake out positions on certain social issues that maybe historically they would have preferred not to touch. You know, there's this really famous line from Michael Jordan that was resurfaced uh, in that that show, The Last Dance, Mm -hmm. um, where he says Republicans buy sneakers too, basically saying he shouldn't be expected to weigh in on political issues necessarily because he was trying to sell sneakers to people of all political stripes. But in recent years, we've seen that sentiment start to be erased. And that, you know, there was a groundswell of movement on that in June 2020 after the killing of George Floyd when millions of people were taking to the streets to to protest for Black Lives Matter, you also started to see them turn to companies and to the Mm -hmm. brands that they wear or support and expect them to stake out positions as well. And you did see a lot of companies start to put out statements saying Black Lives Matter. You also saw companies start to get involved in in Georgia when the state moved to deeply restrict voter access. So slowly, we've started to see companies wade into social and political issues much more than they have historically. That being said, for a lot of companies, abortion has remained a third rail. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that's because for some companies and for some executives, abortion is an issue that's so fraught with morality for some people that they're just not willing to stake social and political capital by weighing in on the issue. And it's an issue that the majority of Americans do think that it should, you know, in in some or all cases, be accessible. And yet for the portion of Americans who don't hold that view, it's something that is very important to them. It's something that's very personal to them. And it's something that they're willing to vote and make a lot of social and business decisions around. So I think companies have been afraid to touch that issue. It is interesting to me because it does have a third as- uh, rail aspect to it. And and in some ways, maybe that's because it is, it's it's a life or death issue in, in a lot of different directions. But what's weird about the other social issues that we weigh in on is that they are too. I mean, you know, Black Lives Matter is a life or death issue. It, there are there are actual stakes in almost every part of the social political discourse that that result in people, you know, changing or losing their lives. So I think it is it is weird that it's become this other thing. And it is also strange to me that that there's this emerging backlash to the movement that you talked about because you've seen Coinbase and other companies step forward and be like we're not going to talk about politics at work. We're not going to talk about social issues at work. And so I wonder if if there's a, a pendulum kind of pulling in both ways and, and this becomes a polarized thing, just like everything else in culture seems to want to. Yeah, it, it is fascinating. I think it's something that historically also companies and executives have haven't been called to weigh in on this issue so much until recent years when we saw, for example, SB8 in Texas. And certainly now that we saw the overturn of Roe v. Wade, it's increasingly become something that companies are asked or even expected to weigh in on, which hasn't conventionally been the case. I would say, though, abortion is also distinctive where it comes to issues that companies might be asked to weigh in on because it's also a workplace issue for many mm-hmm. reasons. First of all, because um, financial concerns you know, are, are one of the primary reasons that people cite in getting abortions. Second of all, there's been research that showed when people are are unable to obtain an abortion, that actually affects them economically. They might have worse economic outcomes. Their children might have worse economic outcomes. They might be less likely to be employed um, several months after being unable to obtain that abortion. So it affects people's financial and economic circumstances. But finally, and, and probably most prominently, more than half of Americans rely on employers for their health care. And that also mm-hmm. means their reproductive health care. So right now, kind of the, the, the most prominent question weighing on companies is not just, are you going to make a statement? Are you going to tweet? Are you going to send out an email? But are you going to actually bridge the gap between people and the abortions that they might be seeking to access? Are you going to pay for them to travel to get an abortion if they're unable to do so locally? So it's kind of distinct from other social and political issues because it's not just something that companies are being asked to talk about. It's something that they're being asked to very practically act on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it it brings me to, to something I was curious to ask you about. You know, we obviously have a strong conviction that the future of work has a real equity lens that has been historically absent in terms of how companies go about making a lot of a lot of decisions. And and this particular issue, I mean, as Aaron, as you said, this is this is true of a lot of issues, but but this issue in particular feels like it very easily 
increases inequity inside of organizations, depending on how the company breaks in terms of all of the support that you just talked about, Emma. Like, is that is that why this one in particular feels so closely tied to the future of work? Or are there other reasons? Well, I think it, it feels closely tied to the future of work because a lot of workers are wondering whether mm. the entity that provides them with their health care, in yeah. many cases being their employer, is going to help them access the reproductive health care that they want or need. And, you know, I, I touched on this in a recent article, but for some workers, it's, you know, partly about the psychological safety or the social safety of knowing that their employer is standing with them in a very fraught right. moment. But for others, it's very practical and it's very financial, which is that, you know, particularly for low-income women or for women in low-paying jobs in states that have or plan to ban abortion, they might very practically rely on their employer to make or break the difference in whether they're able to get an abortion and whether they're able to leave their own state to, to access reproductive health care. So for a lot of people, it's a pressing concern whether or not their employer weighs in. It's it's not just a, a nice to have. It's yeah. kind of, you know, make or break. Yeah. W- one one story that you reported in one of your articles on this topic that I like I found kind of mind-boggling because I truly hadn't thought about it this way was just the the story of the mother and daughter and the mother who had not been able to access an abortion when she was an hour, a, a teen hourly worker, encouraging her daughter to move to a state and a different company that offered those benefits. And like, just as an org designer, it had not even occurred to me that this could be a significant shift in terms of attraction of employees by companies that decide to, in our opinion, obviously, do the right thing and provide these services to their workers, which was just like, I just, I had not, I had not considered that. Mm. I think it's going to be really fascinating to see how this shapes the job market. Mm -hmm. Um, On the one hand, I think it's important to note, like, people don't plan to need abortions. So it's not necessarily someone's going to be sitting there thinking, you know, I really want to make sure my employer covers this benefit that I'll probably need. It's not something most people plan for. On the other hand, something I found really fascinating in my reporting is that I was hearing from a lot of concerned parents and especially mothers that they wanted to make sure their children or the younger people they mentored would have access to that benefit. And in in the case of this one woman I spoke to, it was because of her own experience with, with having been a teen who got pregnant and, and couldn't afford to take the time off work needed to drive the many hours away to get an abortion. And, and so seeing companies start to either react or not react to the Dobbs decision, it was very important to her that her daughter start to actually think about this, even though it's yeah. not the type of benefit that people typically plan on, on needing. And I, I think it's also going to be interesting to see how this shapes where businesses long-term decide to set up shop. Because interestingly, in recent years, um, states like Texas have started to attract a lot more business because of the tax incentives Mm -hmm. that they offer to businesses. Um, But if there's a young female workforce that's saying that they want to live in states where they know that they can access reproductive health care, that might start to shape where businesses are able to set up shop. And and where that might have the most effect is in states like Arkansas, you know, states that aren't quite Texas yet, but that are going to move to to heavily restrict abortion access. 
Yeah. Well, and just, you know, just to to put a fine point on something you just said, it's like how many of us who have taken jobs in various companies over the years were necessarily planning on using particular benefits? Like most people don't right, plan on right. getting a terminal illness, but you still want to have medical insurance. And like it could still be a really big difference in terms of the decision that you make. So I, I think I think your point is a is a good one. And I will be very curious to see how how that shape shifts, um, particularly at companies that hire on a large scale. It's yet another example of the like slow sorting that we're seeing right. between, you know, cities and and rural areas and between red and blue states. Like we're we're setting ourselves up to be <laughs> to be truly polarized as as fast as we possibly can. One one thing we talk a lot about on the show, Emma, is is complexity and unexpected outcomes. And one of the things that I notice and and Rodney and I have mentioned to each other in in watching the reporting on this is when you have organizations stepping forward and saying, we'll pay for this, we'll pay for that. There is an unintended privacy issue there. Have you talked at all to, to, to folks about what that looks and feels like? And are there ways around that? Or are we going into a future where it's like, oh, yeah, you're going to tell your boss that you need the week off to go deal with something like this? And does that feel like a personal violation? That was one of the number one concerns that I heard from from workers um, and from others as I was doing this reporting. But when I spoke with companies about it, it does seem like a lot of them are setting up this benefit through their health insurance provider. So Mm -hmm. in other words, you would not have to sit down with your boss and say that you wanted an abortion. It Got would it. be, you know, submitted as a claim through the health insurance codes, just like a lot of other medical procedures. Um, but there are some companies that that are doing it differently and, and they're definitely going to have to navigate a host of issues, including um, how they're protecting data and in what ways they're going to cooperate with law enforcement or not. Wild. Is I'm curious, and you know, it's someone else we had on the show a long time ago. We had a conversation mm. about healthcare being tied to employment, and I can't remember who yeah. it was, but it was very interesting. Emma, is your opinion, if you have one, that if we could decouple healthcare in this country from being totally tied to employers, that would significantly change this conversation? You know, it's not something that I really am able to share my opinion about as someone covering this journalistically. Mm-hmm. But I do think that what's happened over the last couple of weeks with the Dobbs decision and with company yeah. reactions to it is that we've seen it really hit home for people that, you know, people have long known that their employer shapes um, their health and also their, you know, their family planning, whether it's in the maternity leave that mm-hmm. a company offers or whether they offer on-site childcare or whether they cover birth control. But I think that's now hit home to a new degree because yeah. people are realizing that not only do they have to plan around how many weeks of paid or unpaid maternity leave they get, how much childcare they're able to afford, but they also have to look at whether their company will support them if they need to get a reproductive health care procedure that's not available locally. Got it. That makes sense. I'm curious how how to make sense of organizational silence on this ruling. So we talked earlier about how the fact that about the division between folks that are taking a stance and those that are not. Based on your reporting, what should we make of the companies that are in the decline to comment bucket? What how how to kind of evaluate what that means? 
I think there are a lot of companies that despite those weeks in between the leaked draft that showed the court was going to overturn Roe and the actual ruling, um, just hadn't gotten their response formulated or, you know, maybe they just decided that they were going to wait until the decision was final and then they and then they were going to kind of scramble sure. to figure out a plan. Um, so I think there are still some companies that have plans in the works. Interestingly, Walmart, for example, did send out a memo to employees saying that they were figuring out what their plans were. Mm. So it, it still isn't clear what that's going to look like. And again, I think that's a big one just because Walmart is the largest private employer. And because I think, you know, if Walmart's offering a certain benefit, then a lot of its competitors might have to move to do so as well. Um, <laughs> Walmart offers benefits? <laughs> it's it's a big question. And, you know, I think all eyes are on them for what they're going to do on this particular issue, because it, it is just a place that employs not only a lot of Americans, but a lot of the Americans in low paying positions who might, as we talked about earlier, very much depend at the end of the day on their employer to make or break whether they can get reproductive health care. So I think a lot is going to rest on whether companies like Walmart step forward in the next few weeks to say that they will pay for travel expenses associated with abortions. I think there are also a lot of companies that are just not going to move to do that because they're worried about angering consumers or angering employees who who don't believe that that company should be be moving forward to do that. I think another big question is right now a lot of companies have said that they're going to pay for travel related to abortion for their full-time employees. But that leaves out a lot of employees who aren't full-time or are contractors or aren't mm -hmm. on the company health care plan. So, for example, Amazon has said that they are going to pay for um, travel related to abortion for employees on their health care plan. But they have a ton of workers who aren't like, – who are contract, uh, for right, example, right. people who, who drive their delivery trucks. That, by some estimates, could be like a third of their workforce – so that leaves out a lot of people who don't get that benefit. So I think um, over the coming weeks and months, another big question is going to be not only do more companies weigh in, but do the companies that have weighed in figure out a plan to cover their full workforce and not just their full-time workers? Mm -hmm. And that, that's, you know, as we mentioned before, an equity issue as well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it, it was before and now it's exacerbated into this domain. Um, one question that that prompted for me, you know, when when you talk about companies being, you know, potentially angering part of their consumer base, I'm I am curious. Like, besides that, what what risk do you see companies incurring, and have you seen any real backlash yet to the companies that have spoken out against the ruling? I have not seen a significant amount of backlash yet. That being mm -hmm. said, I think. Um, again, people on all sides might still be organizing their responses. Um, that's certainly a big question mark of, of, you know, how consumers and employees are going to respond over the coming weeks and months. Some executives that I've spoken with have said they've gotten very positive responses from their employees. For example, Yelp has been another very vocal business in responding mm. to this ruling. And I spoke with the CEO and they said they've, they've heard some very positive responses from their employees about how vocal they've been. Match Group is another one that's been very vocal because they not only 
um, you know, offered to cover up travel related to abortion. They also said that they would um, suspend a lot of their political donations for the time being until they can conduct a full review of them um, because there, there was some backlash to the fact that reporting revealed that they had donated over $100,000 last year to political groups, in some cases political groups connected to abortion bans. So they said that they would suspend those donations, again, said that they've heard some very positive responses. So, so far, I, I haven't seen a lot in terms of people pledging to do any kind of boycotting. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I think that's, that's again, another, another area to kind of watch over the coming weeks and months. In terms of why companies, in, on top of backlash, haven't responded, I think a lot of companies, as, as you guys touched on in your questions earlier, are still really wrestling with some of the privacy data and tax implications of promising to cover some of the benefits we've talked about. There are, you know, a lot of a lot of questions, issues to be hammered out. I've spoken with some lawyers who are working with companies to figure out the shape of these benefits. And they said, you know, companies are really wrestling with what they're going to do in terms of privacy protections, the tax issues associated with these benefits. So there's certainly a lot of kinks that companies are trying to work out. You know, I'm glad that you brought up the campaign contribution stuff because I've been sitting with a question about that. And and given that you're talking to to so many employers, I'm curious how you think this is going to shake out. But my assumption has always been that really large employers, employers on the scale of a Walmart or, or really any Fortune 1000 company are generally operating under the assumption that like they want to put money into all campaigns so that they can have some voice in whoever is elected in order to protect their interests, whatever those interests might be, right? If you're Disney, you want to have a voice in the in the Florida House, et cetera. But now it seems like that's becoming a, a very public political stance accidentally. And even if the if the company gave money to both sides, for example, the um the sense from from the market is like, no, you like you're doing an evil thing when you support the side that I don't support. And then I'm going to vote with my dollars accordingly. Do you get the sense from your from your coverage that folks, businesses in particular, are going to start really like choosing a political party to advocate for and, and as a result have maybe less sway politically, nationally? Well, it's exactly right that, as you said, businesses do tend to give in fairly equal amounts to democratically connected and Republican connected groups to support their various interests, whether those are privacy interests or tax interests or, you know, other, any other kind of interest that touches their business. I think companies are realizing that there's going to be an increasing amount of scrutiny on where they put their money. And mm-hmm. I think the first real wave of that scrutiny came after January 6th um, sure. last year. Uh, there was, you know, increased calls for companies not to, to give to any groups connected to uh, the politics of that event. Then there's been another wave of scrutiny in the weeks since the court overturned Roe v. Wade. I think w- one of the one of the things you're seeing is that some of the polarization that is in the country's political system right now is extending to businesses. And there's either an increased expectation or an increased desire that businesses will eventually start to connect themselves to either red or blue. And you are seeing companies like um, Yelp is a really great example where I, I spoke to the CEO 
about their decision to be so vocally critical of the Mm. Supreme Court's overturn of Roe v. Wade. And I asked him whether that was a business consideration for him, whether, you know, he was thinking about the talent he was trying to attract or the consumers he was trying to appease. And the way they framed it is really just that for them, it was an issue of right and wrong. Mm -hmm. They, They didn't, they weren't running the business calculus so much as they were weighing in where they felt it was right to do so. So I do think we are kind of entering new territory where businesses um, in some cases might decide to step more firmly into red and blue territory, not not as a business consideration, but as a, a social, political, and ethical consideration. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's the the parallel to the work that we do and the people that we talk to in in the day to day and on this show is really there a lot of a lot of the most futurist and the most progressive leaders that we talk to when we ask them hard questions about like why they did certain things with ownership or why they did certain things with compensation or with strategy or with whatever they're like no it was just the right thing to do and when you're like was there a lot of modeling was there a lot of forecasting was there a lot of you know risk planning they're like no it just it was the right thing to yeah. do and so that's what we did and 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 we've had that experience in a lot of domains and so it's interesting to hear that echoed in a company like Yelp um i guess i guess what that does bring me to is leaving coverage on such an important issue up to individual companies feels um you know not not super resilient. Like that feels like it creates a lot of fragility, particularly for people who are potentially seeking these services. What role do you think organizations really should play when it comes to an issue like reproductive care? Um, again, it's not something I can reveal my personal views on as someone covering this as a reporter. But that being said, I do think the news events of the last few weeks have revealed more and more of the reasons why a company might want to wade in even to an issue that's so contentious. And most centrally, I think it's the fact that reproductive healthcare is a form of healthcare and a lot of people depend on their employer for their healthcare. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why, um, again, there's been an increasing expectation for businesses to weigh in because it's not just a social or political issue that they might be asked to tweet about or to send an email about or to have their CEO, you know, talk to the workforce in a town hall about. It's literally something where workers will be looking to their company and saying, if they can't access a certain procedure close to home, will they be able to build the company to travel to another state where they can access it? And and it's just something where very practically employees are realizing that they might actually be reliant on their employer to say whether or not they'll do so. Um, and, And I also do think that we're going to see that get more and more hairy legally, because right now, Traveling out of state for an abortion is not prohibited um, Mm -hmm. under any laws, but I've spoken to some constitutional law experts and some, some other legal experts, and what they've said is that, first of all, you are going to see some legislators try to craft legislation that prohibits it. You are going to see some aggressive prosecutors try to use existing laws to prosecute people who do travel out of state. And also, you've actually seen some legislators, for example, in Texas, say they're going to go after businesses that cover abortion-related travel for employees. You know, you've, you've seen that pledge really specifically from Republican legislators in Texas. So on the one hand, I think you're seeing the expectation grow from workers that their companies say whether or not they're going to help bridge the gap between um, workers and 
healthcare that isn't available to them locally. On the other hand, you're also seeing businesses recognize that this is growing more and more complicated legally. I I sure wish there was an instrument to short the Texas economy because I feel like going after businesses for conducting themselves as they see fit seems like a great a great recipe to lose what has been recently gained. Um, based on what we were just talking about, you did write in a recent article that for high income women, an employer's offer to cover abortion related travel might be viewed partly as a signal of support or a political stance. For women in low-income jobs, a company's policy will determine whether or not they can afford to cross state lines for an abortion. It, it's it's higher stakes. How are you seeing organizational responses play out across different industries and geographies? And could this patchworked approach continue to fail communities with the most need? Like, do you see this having a really higher, a, a more egregious impact on on the low-income worker? Yes, certainly. I mean, I think that the fact of the matter is that some people do have the funds to travel if they need to, to get reproductive health care. Many, many, many other workers do not have um, those savings. It's, it's very expensive mm-hmm. to leave to leave the state, to travel far away, to take the time off of work in order to get a reproductive health care procedure like abortion. Um, so I think some people are certainly way more dependent on their employer to cover the cost of travel, to cover the, the literal travel expenses, the lodging, the childcare, all the associated costs. And they're very reliant on their employer to give them the paid leave time to do so. And I, I think one of the, you know, ironies of the current circumstances is that some of the companies that were fastest to move and to pledge to cover all those expenses and to offer the paid leave time needed to get an abortion are tech companies, companies known for being more socially progressive, companies like we mentioned, Yelp, Salesforce, Google, Match Group, and and those companies tend to have more highly paid workers. Right. So a lot of the the people who work at um, in hospitality, in um, retail, in you know places like again Walmart, some of their companies have been far slower or far more hesitant to move to make all those pledges, and so they're going to be some of the people who are failed by those systems the fastest, and you know when when they might be the most reliant on their companies to cover those costs. So I, I do think that's, that's one of the realities of the current situation. I, I also think, you know, it's, it's just the, the complications and the ironies go so deep because also, you know, some analysis of research has shown that some of the states that restrict abortion the most also are the states where it's most difficult to be a mother, either mm-hmm. because childcare is the least available, because maternity leave, paid maternity leave is the least available. So, you know, you might be someone who um, doesn't get a lot of pay. Your state really restricts abortion. Also, you're, you, you know, you're, you might be less likely to then access paid maternity leave. You might be less likely to have access to affordable childcare. So all of these issues kind of get layered one on top of the other. It does seem like we're maybe not thinking this all the way through. Uh, as, as a population. Um, speaking of thinking things all the way through, we, we wanted to end on on a note of so what, now what? So we're, we're in the midst of this radical shift in policy. There's a lot of moving pieces here. Do you, do you have thoughts about what's next, about what you expect will come, about what actions or 
or inquiries our listeners can can undertake to to move this issue forward? Well, I think the reality is that for a lot of years, no one would have expected companies to be weighing in on an issue like abortion. And on, on the other hand, also for a lot of years, we were living in a really, really different legal landscape in which federally abortion rights were protected. So we're moving into a brave new world in a lot of ways. Um, one of those is that what's been the law of the land for almost 50 years, Roe v. Wade, is no longer the law of the land. And, and so I think it's natural that you're therefore seeing a lot of eyes from workers, from business leaders, from consumers moving toward companies and sort of saying, okay, what are you going to do? And, and I think we've seen movement on a lot of social and political issues in corporate America in recent years. Abortion is going to be the, the next territory where companies are having to navigate responses where they might have previously thought they wouldn't need to do so. But again, I think that's also natural because this really, really is a business issue. It's a business and financial issue because people tend to cite financial challenges as a primary reason in getting abortions. It's a business and financial issue because people who aren't able to obtain abortions are less likely to be able to stay in work and they're you know, more likely to struggle financially. And finally, it's a business and economic issue because people, again, rely on their employers for their health care, and that does not exclude reproductive health care. So I think you're going to see a lot of pressure going forward on companies to figure out their responses. And there's going to be one tier of responses, which is practically speaking, will companies cover the travel expenses for people to leave their state if they have to, to get an abortion? Then the next level of response will be on top of that. Will companies also put out statements, ask other companies to weigh in? And, and then also, will they stop donating to groups that support abortion bans? So there's going to be all different tiers of responses. Um, something interesting that we're seeing is that there are business leaders that are organizing behind the scenes to try and create an environment that empowers other business leaders to wade into this thorny issue. So I spoke with um, the chief marketing officer at OKCupid, who has been doing a lot of work to organize business leaders and particularly women business leaders to create almost a kind of coalition of people who are willing to start wrestling with reproductive health care as a business issue. And I think what, what she kind of expressed to me is that People feel more empowered to do so when they do so with a lot of other business leaders, when they don't feel like they're wading into uncharted territory alone. So I think we're certainly moving into a brave new world, but also business leaders are all kind of holding hands and jumping into this together. No one is doing this alone. And um, and then I think the next couple of weeks and months are going to bring even more responses from some of the companies that have so far preferred to remain silent on this issue. Yeah, I, I I think that's right, and and just as a statement from someone who is not a journalist, I I really feel strongly that this whole kind of Milton Friedman esque the the business of business is business lens is that time is over. Like it, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a founder, if you're a team leader, we spend a third to a half of our lives at work, and to imagine that work is somehow separate from social issues and separate from justice whatever you think it is, like, I mean, have, have your beliefs, have your stance, but whatever you think those are, I think they need to be, I think they need to be realized and expressed through the instrument of, of business. And so at some level, I'm really excited to see this reporting and this groundswell of reactions. And, and I, I expect that even though it will add to the polarization in, in society, I expect that we're going to see a lot more of that going forward. 
Yeah, it, it is going to be, I think. Um, it's, it's going to be interesting because I think the ground game has changed. I remember I watched The Last Dance, that Michael Jordan show, in the spring of 2020, um, and where he said that famous Republicans still buy sneakers line. And a few weeks after that show aired, uh, George Floyd was killed. And suddenly I started to get emails from, you know, every company that I subscribe to emails from putting out statements saying Black Lives Matter. Um, so I think companies started to recognize racial justice was an issue that they might be expected to weigh in on. A few years later now, they're starting to touch abortion as well. So I think more and more social and political issues that companies have long thought that they would be able to skirt are becoming very clearly business issues. And so the facts on the ground have changed and so have the expectations. Well, I think changing expectations is a pretty good place to to draw things to a close. That's um, it's the name of the game on this show. Emma, where can our listeners find out more about you and your work? Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me on. This was a really interesting conversation. You can follow my byline, Emma Goldberg. I write about the future of work. And you can also follow me on Twitter at Emma B. Go. Awesome. Everybody should do that. Emma, I'm a big, <laughs> big fan of yours. I appreciate you coming and making this happen so quickly. We really wanted to have the conversation specifically about abortion in the wake of what has been going on over the last couple of weeks. So I appreciate you and the Times making that happen with us. Thank you so much again for having me on. Great to talk with you. Absolutely. And for the listeners out there, if you like what you're hearing, please do leave us a review or forward this show to somebody who you think needs to hear it. If you know someone that can put fog on a mirror, they need to hear it. Um, A quick tip of the hat to Taylor Marvin for making the three of us sound good today. Brave New Work is produced by The Ready, where we help organizations around the world change the way they work and adapt to these changing times. You can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at theready.com. And as for you, thanks for listening. Now go change something.